Thanks, Ashley. And good morning, church. It's great to be with you. My name is Dave, and this morning we are continuing our journey through the book of Daniel. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 6, so if you have a Bible, you can turn there with me. And as you do, I want to quickly remind you of what's happening in this story. Sixty-six years have gone by since 605 BC when King Nebuchadnezzar conquered Jerusalem and Daniel, along with many of his countrymen, were taken back to Babylon as prisoners. Daniel is now an old man. He's probably in his 80s and last week he outlasted the Babylonian Empire. My wife and I will sometimes watch a show called Survivor, and the tagline is outwit, outplay, outlast. And Daniel has done that. He's outwitted, outplayed, and outlasted the empire of Babylon. In fact, at the end of our chapter last week, the Medo-Persian army overtook the capital city, and now there's a new sheriff in town, a new king, and his name is Darius. And in our chapter today, Darius will begin to establish his government in Babylon. And it's right here in these verses, in this chapter, that we get a wonderful picture of what following God in a world that does not know him looks like. That's the title of the message today, following God in a world that does not know him. Daniel chapter 6, here we go. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The chat traps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find ground for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Friends, this story is amazing because it defies all logic and common practice. When a new ruler comes into power, the administration always shifts. We see this even in our world today. A new king does not keep the members of his predecessor's cabinet And in this moment, we not only have a new king, power and control of the entire known world has just changed hands. World empires have shifted, and Daniel is still around. And he's not just around, he's one of the king's top three guys, and he's on the verge of a promotion to be the king's number one guy. How did this happen? How does Daniel continuously rise to the top? Friends, if you are a person who faithfully follows God in this world, two very different and distinct realities will be a part of your life. They will be in detention with one another, and we see them both in tension in Daniel's life right here. One, you will be loved by this world. If you are a person who walks with God, people will look at your life, they will see the fruit of the Holy Spirit in you, and they will be drawn to who you are in Christ. Look at verse 3. Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and satraps by his exceptional 
qualities, it says. The ESV says, Daniel became distinguished above all other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. That's the spirit of the living God. Friends, the spirit of God is in Daniel and it's making his life attractive to people in this world. It's causing him to live and and to work and to exist and to be in a way that even pagan people find alluring. Jesus says it this way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is Daniel. He lives into that verse. Time and time again, Daniel is faithful with what's in front of him. Daniel's faithful with what's in front of him. Friends, let me say this to you today. If you want to grow as a disciple, if you want to have impact for God's kingdom in this world, if you want to be salt and light as a follower of Jesus Christ, then start with this. Determine to live for God wherever he has you. Wherever you are, whatever situation you find yourself in, do your best in that situation for God's glory because that's what Daniel does. Time and time and time again, as this book has unfolded, things don't go the way he wants them to. He's taken as a prisoner of war. He's made a eunuch. He's forced to serve a pagan king in a pagan city. This was not Daniel's idea of the good life. This was not the life he dreamed of living. And yet, Daniel is consistently faithful with what's in front of him. He's trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Tim Keller says, this chapter describes Daniel as doing excellent work with an excellent attitude in a world he didn't imagine, plan, deserve, or desire. Friends, let me ask you this. Where in your life is God calling you to live this way right now? Where is God calling you to be trustworthy and honest and to do your very best with integrity, even if the situation is not everything you ever wanted? Even if it's not your dream job, even if it's not your dream boss or your dream marriage or your dream school or your dream coach or your dream group or even your dream pastor. Friends, Daniel's life is not a dream and yet he's faithful with what's in front of him and the world loves him for it. In fact, once again, he's up for a promotion. But this leads to the second reality a person who faithfully follows God in this world will face. One, the world will love you and two, the world will hate you. They will persecute you. Jesus says this over and over and over again to his followers. Hey, the world's not always going to like you. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. That's John chapter 15. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. That's Matthew 5. That's the Sermon on the Mount. If you are a person who faithfully follows God in this world, There's this weird tension that you are constantly living in of being loved and being hated because of your faith and life with God. And we see this right here in Daniel. He's both promoted and persecuted all in the same chapter. He's praised and then he's plotted against. Verse five. Finally, these men, these satraps against Daniel, 
said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Friends, this is what seems to be a good leader who makes a wrong decision because of bad information. Notice in verse 7, we're told that the king is told that they all have agreed In other words, King Darius thinks that Daniel is in on this, but he's not. The king's been deceived. He's been given bad information. I remember when I was a youth pastor in Minneapolis, and one of the rules in our youth group was that when we gathered together as a community, we would never watch movies that were rated higher than PG. It was PG or G movies only for us. And this was something that the high school students in my ministry did not love. They were constantly, constantly pushing and pressuring and, and, and you know, promoting this idea with me that because they were in high school, they should at least be able to watch PG-13. Come on, Dave, at least PG-13. It's not a big deal. You know, we're all older than 13. Our parents don't care. They let us watch PG-13. Please, can't we just watch PG-13? You would have thought their lives depended on it. But the rule was PG. And so one time we were on a mission trip off on this bus and we were driving across the country and we stopped at a gas station to fill up and the students got off to use the restroom and grab some snacks from the, from the, you know, the little go-mart there. And we got back on the bus and some of the high school boys had purchased a movie. The movie was none other than Top Gun. And right away I said, nope. No way. We're not doing Top Gun. Top Gun's not happening. And they said, Dave, 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 what's the rule? The rule is by you. Your rule, your decree, you've declared that the law of the youth group is to be PG movies are allowed. And look right here, Top Gun is rated PG. And I was like, oh, it is? It's been a while since I'd seen Top Gun. I thought, okay, all right, PG. So we get back on the road. We put Top Gun on the screens, on the, you know, those little TVs they have on the bus, and we're watching Top Gun, and all of a sudden things start to get a little dicey and a little shady, and Kelly McGinnis is having her breath taken away by Tom Cruise, and I'm thinking, what have I done? How did this happen? Well, I'll tell you how it happened. When the movie Top Gun came out, there was no such thing as a PG-13 rating. PG-13 hadn't been created yet, and Top Gun came in just under the line of an R-rated movie. And so in our world today, it would have been PG-13, but then it was just PG. I was a good leader, but had wrong information, and so made a bad decision. Friends, this is what happens to King Darius. He's tricked, he's fooled, he's bamboozled into allowing the entire nation to watch Top Gun. And no one's now allowed to pray to any God except for him for 30 days. And this decree goes out, and now the word comes to Daniel. Verse 10, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home 
to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Friends, I think one of the key phrases of this story is that little phrase right at the end of verse 10. Just as he had done before. You see, one of the things we learn in this story and throughout the story of Daniel is that if you determine to faithfully follow God in a world that does not know him, you will at some point find yourself in conflict with the world. At some point, you will be asked to do something that you simply can't do, or you will be at some point asked to not do something that you must do, because in this world, you will have trouble. But that does not mean that as Christians, we are called to go looking for trouble. Daniel isn't looking for trouble. He's simply acting and living just as he had done before. Friends, let me tell you this. If you're a follower, if you're a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, you do not need to look for trouble. Just follow God. Just keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Just be faithful to him. And I promise you, at some point, trouble will find you. It finds Daniel here. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. The nerve of this guy. Let, let me ask you something here. Are there some things you're committed to in your life following Jesus? Are there some non-negotiables that you stand for? Are there some lines that you simply will not cross? Are there some things that will not be compromised because of your faith and belief and trust in Jesus Christ. Because when you think about it, it really would have been so easy for Daniel to cave on this one. Just shut the windows, just take a month off from prayer, just lie about what he was actually doing. I mean, after all that Daniel has been through, wouldn't it be okay just this one time if he shifted his spiritual practices just a bit, if he laid low, if he allowed this new law to simply slide past unchallenged? Because that's the real issue. Friends, let me ask you this. Are you willing to stand for God and his kingdom even when it will cost you something? Are you willing to follow Jesus even when following Jesus means that you won't get approval or praise and you'll perhaps even be giving up your promotion? You see, as Christ followers, we aren't called to go looking for trouble, but we're also called to not avoid it. And Daniel doesn't. He prays and acknowledges that the Lord is God, just as he has always done. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. 
He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember your majesty that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. PG, right here, it's in print, right? So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. You know what strikes me about this story as I've read it through again this time? It's more about Darius than Daniel. Darius is talked about here more than Daniel is. Daniel is the one who's going into the lion's den. Daniel is, being, is the one who's, who's facing being eaten alive by wild beasts. Think for a moment about what a horrific and a horrible way that would be to die. If you think about it for too long, it's gross, it's nasty. But this is what Daniel is facing. This is the horror that lies before him. And yet, we never read here about his stress, about his fear, about his anxiety. You know who's distressed? It says in verse 14, King Darius. King Darius is the one who prays, may your God rescue you. Darius is the one who won't eat. Darius is the one who can't sleep. Friends, here's the point. When the pressure is on and the chips are down, the world is watching how we live. They're watching when it really matters and something is on the line. They're wondering, is our faith more than just lip service? Is it more than just religion? Does it give us peace amidst the storm? Does it give us joy and hope when times are hard? Does it give us confidence amidst tremendous adversity and uncertainty? It does for Daniel. Because Daniel knows this, the Lord will deliver him either way. The Lord will either deliver him from the lion's den or through the lion's den. Either way, live or die, Daniel knows that God will be with him. At the first, verse 19, at the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? I wonder how long the pause was here. Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Friends, at this point in the story, we must see that Daniel is not just a cool story about a guy in a lion's den in the ancient world. This is not just about a miracle that happened a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. This is a story about a God who saves. 
This is a story about a God who redeems. This is a story about a God who shows up and has the power to deliver us spot-free without even a mark on our souls from the pit of death. You see, it's here that commentators say, Daniel is a little foretaste. He's just a glimpse. He's a little picture of what's to come, of the Savior Jesus who someday will arrive on the scene. And when you think about it, there are a lot of similarities. They both went from a place of royalty to poverty. They both faced a world that was dark and opposed to them. They both traveled with a few faithful friends through adversity and hardship. They both stood against demonic evil and suffered greatly for their loyalty. They both lived exemplary lives of character, humbly. They both had tremendous wisdom for making ethical decisions under distress. They both had jealous political leaders drum up false charges to arrest them. They both were forced to walk to their doom and stopped to pray along the way. They both were thrown into a pit and left for dead. They both had their pit covered with a large stone. They both had their stone protected with a government seal. They both had loving friends run to their tomb early in the morning. And they both emerged victorious and rose up to see another day. You see, in Daniel, we get a little glimpse of Jesus because they were much the same. But here's where they're different. Daniel was delivered by an angel of the Lord and escaped death for a moment. Jesus walked into the grave alone, defeated death, and it was permanent. Friends, the story of Daniel is not trust God and he will deliver you from all the hard and horrible things of this world and give you a promotion. No. The story of Daniel points us to the larger story of God, which says, put your faith and trust in Jesus and he'll deliver you from sin and death itself and give you not just a promotion, but a position as his child, reconciled to God and you can live with him and in his kingdom for all eternity, starting now. And friends, when we do, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and determined to follow him as Lord and live this way, God will use us to have impact, tremendous impact on others in this world. Verse 25, here's how this story ends. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Friends, the Medo-Persian Empire would go on from here to become the largest and most powerful empire the world had ever known up to that point. And it's under that empire that the Jewish people, taken captive by Babylon, would be sent home to their land, to the promised land, to Israel. And this one man, Daniel, 
He got to be a part of a pivotal plan that God was orchestrating to change the heart of a king and thus the direction of the entire world, all of human history. Friends, here's the message. God wants to save you, and then he wants to use your life to impact and change the lives of others. And as he does, as you allow him to use you in this world, just like Daniel, you never know what impact the Lord will use you to make.